Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes this, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. That's an interesting word there, conflict. It's the word agnos, the Greek word. It's from where we get the word agony. And so Paul here, he's, he's agonizing over the church at Coloss and Laodicea. And of course, as he says, and as, as many have had not seen his face. Now, Laodicea was approximately 10 miles away from Coloss. Um, it seems evident from this letter and others that Paul didn't start these churches. Um, he had not personally visited them, but he did hear reports about them. And what concerned Paul about these churches that caused him to agonize over them? We know uh, from chapter 1, as we were looking at that the other week, that the church at Coloss was actually doing well. I mean, you know, they were commended for their faith and for their love. They had a reputation. And so, uh, you know, what was it that was concerning Paul about them or for them? The problem was that there was a lot of influences around not necessarily in the church, but around the church, could have been in, church, in the church as well, that uh, could destroy that church and in fact can destroy any church. And the things that Paul is concerned about, and we're going to talk about this morning, is human philosophy. Philosophy entering into the church, but also ritual legalism and plain old carnality. You know, these dangers exist for the church today. We're not exempt from those dangers in, in our church and in our own lives. Now, I don't know, personally, I don't know the history of the church at Coloss. I don't think we have a whole lot other than these letters. But I do have an inkling about the church at Laodicea because Jesus, in Revelation 3, writes a letter to that church. And it's not a good letter to the church in Laodicea. They're known as the lukewarm church. And unless they heeded Christ's warning in Revelation chapter 3, we can assume that they probably didn't finish well. It's a, it's a sad thing because there are a lot of believers that, you know, they start out well. They start out on fire for the Lord. They're growing and stuff. And then something happens and, and they get sidetracked and they get distracted. And pretty soon they don't finish well. And I, I think we can assume that that's what happened to Laodicea, although we don't know if that happened to Coloss. So what was Paul's desire and prayer for all the believers? Well, first of all, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. That word encouraged is the word parakaleo. If you're not familiar with the Greek, that's also uh, the word. It's, it's, it's uh, the root word for paraclete, which is the word comforter which is the description of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus talked about the comforter, the paraclete. It's the same word, and it means to be strengthened and to be comforted. And what Paul was desire for them was that they would be strengthened, that they be covered, or comforted, excuse me, being knit together in love. And if you're a knitter or you know about knitting, really what this is speaking about is being, it's being brought together. It's being uh, brought together in unity of the body. Now, you know, unity in and of itself 
you know, people can unite around the wrong thing. I've seen that before. Uh, of course, you know, mob mentality is kind of the same thing. People unite around around a wrong thing. So Paul is not talking about the sake of unity or unity for the sake of unity in and of itself, but he specifies and he says being united in love or being knit together in love. And so that's unity, and that word is agape, that Greek word for uh, selfless love. It's for the kind of love that, that gives without expecting anything in return. That's the kind of love that Paul is desiring, that they be united around that. And, you know, that's really Christ's prayer for all believers. In John chapter 17, Jesus is, is praying for his disciples. And at the end, he says, man, I'm not just praying for them, but I'm praying for all who believe uh, from their testimony. And, of course, you and I, we're, we're the products of that, of, of the disciples, of the apostles, their ministry in that first century. We're the byproducts of that. We're, we're the fruit of their ministry. And so it applies to us as well. And Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that be you and I, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, why is that Paul's desire that they be united in love when he's concerned about false teaching and he's concerned about philosophies creeping into the church? You see, being knit together in love is the antidote for the poison of false doctrines and the division that it causes. Being united in that selfless love for one another where there's no divisions, there's no, there's no factions in the church, because that's what happens with false teaching. That's what happens with things. That, it, 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 naturally, it forms divisions. And, and so being united in love is the antidote for that. The next thing that Paul desires for the believers there, continuing in verse 2, he says, And attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. I like this other translation. It says, To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Verse 3, he says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ. That's where all the treasures and of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. It really is all about Jesus. You know, we always sing about it's about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. Well, that's because everything is truly about Jesus. He is my all in all. You know, I don't need to go anywhere for wisdom and knowledge but Him. And you see what, what that temptation, what that danger is, is the philosophers come in and say, you know, that's fine you have a faith in Jesus, but, you know, here's this, here's this other stuff. And, and, and to really find out, you go in this direction, and, and you don't need to because it's all in Jesus. Notice that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are not from learning or understanding about Jesus. That's another key point, too. They are in Christ. He's the source of it. In other words, they are only imparted through your relationship with Him. And you've got to wonder, why, why is that so? Why, I mean, you know, just say, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Well, what does that mean to me today? You know, I thought it was important to study, study God's Word, you know, to learn about God and to learn about Christ so I can have an understanding. And that's true, but think about this. 
It's only when you are in Christ, when you're a born-again believer, that you receive the Holy Spirit. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that the words come alive to you, that Scripture comes alive to you. So, so you know, you can study all you want about Jesus and about Christ, and you can read the Bible, but unless you have a relationship with Jesus, it's not going to do anything for you. It's not, it's not going to, you're not going to get that, that, that true understanding because uh, the God of this world blinds the mind, blinds the eyes of unbelievers. And so it is uh, only when you and I receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John sixteen twelve, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that, I, that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So it's as you and I have that relationship with Christ that all those things in Christ, you know, that's where we go to for him. We don't need to go anywhere else. And they're only found through a relationship in Jesus. Verse 4, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with per- persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul Paul was concerned that they wouldn't be deceived with persuasive words. I looked it up, persuasive. Of course, you know what a persuasive word is. But it literally means here enticing words meant to lead people into error. They're meant to lead you into error. They're enticing words. And so Paul rejoiced in the Colossians in their good order and steadfastness of faith in Christ. That good order, you know, that, that's actually a military term. It gives the idea that they were disciplined and orderly, that they were pulled together in rank. Now, I wasn't in a battle. I was in the military. I went through you know, basic training, and I was in uh, the U.S. Coast Guard for four years. And one of the things that they teach you in boot camp, and they really teach it, I think, in all the branches of the service, and certainly when you're in a battlefield, is the importance of being disciplined and orderly, of, of, of following orders and, and being pulled together in rank. When you're out on a battlefield or when you're on a ship, you know, everyone has a job to do. And the survival of that ship or the survival of your unit, and maybe you're out in the battlefield, the survival of that unit depends that everybody does their job. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. There has to be order because if there's confusion, then anything can happen and you'll end up getting killed and you and your comrades, your buddies, or you know, the people that you fight with. Everyone has a job to do. Everyone is to be submitted to their superiors and everyone works together as a team. And that really goes back to what Paul said about the Colossians, about their being united in love. Because being united in love meant that they were united in purpose as well. And that's so important. And so Paul was looking at the Colossians and saying, you know, you guys, you've got good order. You've, you're, you're, you're united in love. And they were steadfast in their faith in Christ. That basically means that they're, they're holding firm. You know, the, whatever's coming through, the wind of doctrine or whatever that might try to take them, whatever strange philosophy, man, they were centered on Christ. He's their anchor. Verse 6. 
As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You know, think back, if you would, for a few minutes, to your conversion experience, or your rededication experience, or whenever you decided to follow Christ. You know, sometimes I talk about your conversion experience, and, you know, I know that there are some people, and myself included, I grew up in a Christian home. And so for me, I didn't have this dramatic, you know, I was a, you know, a Satan-worshipping axe murderer, and then Jesus came, and I, you know, I was transformed, and now I'm this great person. No, I grew up in a Christian home. And, and I grew up, you know, uh, having to go to church. My dad read the Bible at the house and stuff, and we prayed. And so, so I was around that growing up. However, there reached a point in my life where I said, you know what? Uh, that's my father's faith, but, you know, it's now my faith too. And there, there came a point where the realization that I needed my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I gave my heart to the Lord. It happened in sixth grade. I was at a high school, or not high school, I was in sixth grade. I was at a, at a camp and uh, camp up in the mountains, and, and uh, during that camp, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I grew up in the Christian home, but at that point, I decided, you know what? I need my own relationship with the Lord, and so I did that. And so from that point on, you know, uh, you know, I, I just went back home and kept going to church like I had been all along. But now I had a relationship that I knew I had with Jesus Christ, but time went on and, and I got involved with the wrong crowds and I won't blame it on the wrong clouds, crowds. I was just rebellious. And I ended up getting involved with all kinds of different things, drugs and alcohol and everything that was popular in those days. And, uh, you know, I just started living this double life and, and it continued from pretty much from junior high on through high school until I actually got into the military. And uh, it's pretty interesting. I was thinking about just the other day, we were talking about silver and gold and stuff and light of the economy and stuff. And I remembered that my parents wasn't too, well, it may have been 10 or 15 years ago or so. My parents, my mom or my dad gave me this box and, and he handed it to me. He goes, here, I've been holding this for you. And I saw it and I go, oh, I remember that box. And I opened it up, and it had, I forgot how many silver dollars. But I, as a kid, used to save silver dollars. It was my brother saved Kennedy half dollars, and so I saved uh, the Eisenhower silver dollars. So I had a, a ton of those, I don't know, 20 or 30 of these silver dollars. And, and anyways, he, he gave it to me. He goes, you know what? He says, we took it away from you because we were afraid you were going to use that to buy drugs. And I'm like, really? I didn't even know that they were gone. I mean, I, didn't, I just completely forgot about them. Um, because during that time, my, my, you know, I just wasn't walking with the Lord at all and, and uh, living that double life. And so there came a time when I gave my heart back to Jesus Christ, when I rededicated my life to the Lord. And uh, in both cases, when I first gave my heart to the Lord and then when I rededicated my life to the Lord, you know, that just the realization of, of what I've been saved from. And just the change that occurred. And so, you know, when I talk about your conversion experience, I'm, for those of you that maybe grew up in the church, hopefully everybody here at this point has made a decision to follow Christ. And they have given their heart to Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. So anyways, in, in whatever the story, whatever your story is, because we all have different stories, think back to that time when you gave your heart to Christ, when you received Jesus Christ as Lord. What was it like? I can tell you from my own experience, there was humbleness and brokenness. 
Man, I tell you, you know, I just, I was just at the end of myself. It's just, I was so sick of myself. This is when I rededicate my life. I was so sick of, of the life that I was living. I was so just, you know, I just, I can't go any further. I got to stop. And so there was that humbleness and there was that brokenness. And then there was that sense, that overwhelming sense of Christ's love. I mean, just overwhelm me, just that love that Jesus would actually save a sinner like me. That he would actually die on the cross for someone who was a louse, who kept blowing it, who kept doing it over and over. And yet he gave his heart for me. That, that love, that he would die on the cross for me. I was overwhelmed by it. I was overwhelmed by his forgiveness. I was overwhelmed by his mercy and his grace. And so there was that humbleness, there was that brokenness, there was that overwhelming sense of Christ's love and mercy. And then there was complete surrender to Him. Do you remember when you first gave your heart to the Lord? It's like, God, here's my life, take it. I, what, I'm just, you, it's like I'm just emptying myself, and you fill it, Lord. And, and whatever, whatever, I'm just throwing everything away, you take my life. Do you remember that? Maybe it's just me. No, I don't think it was. There was that complete surrender. And then on top of that, there was that, you know, I couldn't get enough of the Word of God. I mean, I couldn't get, I just, I was reading it all the time. I was memorizing verses. I'd find a verse and go, wow, that applies to my, and it was just, it's like a sponge. Couldn't, couldn't get enough of His Word. And then on top of that, that, I had enthusiasm to share Christ with people around me. It was almost a reckless enthusiasm. And I've known, I've heard some of the stories of some of you who've gotten saved that just all of a sudden it's like you got to tell everybody. And you're just like, you know, calling people long-lost relatives and you're, you know, people you stop in the store and you just start telling them about Jesus. And so you didn't care who they were. You didn't care. You just like, i got to tell somebody about my life. And so there was that enthusiasm to share what you experienced. And then there was another thing. You know, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, I was actually driving from California to Minnesota. And it was, I just, uh, I was going on my way to a, a duty station in Duluth, Minnesota, in the Coast Guard. And, and I, I still, it's kind of cool because there's this landmark. It's actually the first rest stop on I-90. When you, when you leave Sioux Falls, South Dakota, they're the first rest stop in Minnesota on I-90. It's just a few miles past the border. That's where I pulled over and got on my knees and prayed to receive Christ or just rededicate my life to the Lord. And so every time we drive by, we go to Sioux Falls sometimes, we're going out west for whatever, I drive by and go, there's my monument. It's the rest stop, you know. It's cool. It really is cool to have some place you can go, that's where I gave my heart to the Lord. or That's where my life changed. Because it really was where my life changed. Well, driving, so I gave my heart to the Lord on, on I-90 there <laughs> and uh, drove to Duluth, Minnesota, and when I got there, I pulled into my duty station. You know, I kind of got situated. So, you know, you got to kind of tell them who you are, give them your orders and stuff, and you get situated. They tell you where you're, where you're staying and all that stuff. As soon as I got done with all those details, I went out to find a church. Because I'm like, man, i got to get in fellowship. I knew I needed to get into fellowship. And I went to the first church I could find. It was a Presbyterian church. I went in there, and they were having, it was a Sunday, because I got there on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, and Sunday evening I was in church. And, uh, and, from then on, I was in fellowship. I, I found out about a Bible study. I started going to a Bible study. I couldn't miss fellowship. I, I mean, it was just, I was just hungry to be around other believers. I was just hungry to learn and to be in the Word and stuff. That's how I received Christ. 
So think about your story, how you received Christ. Paul is talking to the, to the Colossians there, and he says, As you received Christ, so walk in Him. So think about it. As you were, think about that humbleness and that, that, that enthusiasm and that hunger for the Word and that hunger for fellowship, all those things that was, your life was like when you first gave your heart to the Lord. If, that's, if you can remember that, that's how we should be walking today. And, you know, you look back, I look back at my life and I go, wow, you know, <laughs> there's areas where I've, I've kind of gotten lukewarm. I've kind of gotten my, that flame has kind of cooled in those areas of my life. Lord, transform me, you know, light a fire again in my heart. Beautiful thing is God will do that if you pray and ask him to. So Paul's reminding them how you, how you first gave your heart to the Lord, man, you should still be living that way. And that's true for each one of us. We should still be on fire for Jesus Christ. And then he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. That word rooted, of course, it's it, you know, talking about plants and stuff. It, means, it actually means literally be grounded. And the idea is digging roots down deep, into getting a, a deep root base for a plant. You know, that's the healthiest thing for a plant. It, it just, it, and basically, if you think about buildings, it's like laying a foundation. And so for you and I, he says that we should be rooted. We should have that deep foundation. You know, the Bible says that our foundation is Jesus Christ. Luke was singing that one song about Christ, the cornerstone, right? He's the, he's, the, he's the foundation block. Everything is built off of him. And so being rooted, that foundation, and then being built up. Now, Thayer's Greek dictionary says this. It's to build upon to build up, to finish the structure of which the foundation has already been laid, to give constant increase in Christian knowledge and in a life conformed thereto. So you have your foundation of Jesus Christ and then building on that foundation, getting into the Word, getting into fellowship, you know, spending time before the Lord, growing in your faith. That's what he's talking about. And then being established in the faith. And that really means just to be stabilized and confirmed. And, and the reason why that's so important is so that you don't get led away by every wind of doctrine that blows through the church. You're, you're firm. You're, you're not, you're not going to get swayed when these philosophies come in. You're, you're going to recognize them for what they are, and you're not going to get pulled or sucked into human philosophies. And the, finally, the end of verse 7, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You know, I think thanksgiving is, is really the fruit of a vibrant living faith. And he's talking about joy. You know, for you and I as believers, you know, we have eternal life. I mean, you know, like I think about Paul and my heart breaks for Paul, my heart breaks, but he has eternal life. He has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows that he's going to heaven when he dies. And for you and I, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, we should be joyful. I mean, you know, we can, there's things that kind of bum us out, and there's things that weigh heavy on our hearts, but really a Christian's life should be marked with joy. That's why I think sometimes, you know, like Paul, or not Paul, David in the Psalms, Lord, Lord you know, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And going back to where you were when you first were, when you first were forgiven, think of the joy that you had. And, and we can lose that joy. And so I think the, the fruit of a vibrant life is joy. You know, isn't it fun to be around Christians that are full of joy? 
And isn't it a bummer to be around Christians that are like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You know, <laughs> oh, my soul. <laughs> When's this going to get over? You know, it's like, wow. And I've been around people. You've been around people. I've, in fact, I've, I've been one of those people. I mean, there's times my wife kind of says, where's your joy? You know, you're, you're, so, you're so negative right now. Where's your joy? And so it's like, oh, that's right. Um, so we, we all get into those funks once in a while. But isn't it a bummer to be around people that are in a funk all the time? <laughs> and for Christians, man, we should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. Yeah, you know, look look what's happening to the Middle East, and look what's going on with our government. Woohoo! The end is coming. <laughs> Jesus is returning. Bring it on, man. Where's the mark? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not going for the mark. <laughs> no, but you know, when I hear about all that stuff, it's like, you know what? It just it confirms that Jesus is returning soon. It's like, cool. Not cool that things are going bad the way they are, but cool that I know that Christ is returning soon. And so for, for you and I, we, we should be filled with joy. And now Paul's warning to them, verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Beware, be, be alert, be on the guard, in case anyone, or lest anyone cheat you. You know what that word cheat is? Interesting. Of course, I thought I knew what cheat means, but what it means in, in the Bible here, it means to carry off as booty. <laughs> it means to carry one off as a captive or a slave. And Paul says, hey man, don't let anyone carry you off as booty. Think about that. You know, they rip you off with false teachings. They rip you off with philosophy. Don't let anyone rip you off from your joy, from that life that you have in Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone take that away from you. Because there are people that come into the church that try to take away from you. There are wolves in the church, folks. And their purpose is to draw people to themselves. And, and so, man, don't let them rip you off. And that's what Paul's telling him. Beware lest anyone carry you off as booty. I like that. So he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Now, most of you know what philosophy means. I looked it up in the, in the Strong's Concordance, and it means it says specifically Jewish sophistry. And I'm like, whoa, okay. You know, sophistry, I'd never heard that word before, but, I, but you know, I like words. And so I'm looking at sophistry, and I go, well, that sounds, or at least it looks a lot like sophisticated. So, you know, I think, okay, so it must be, maybe sophistry is kind of related to sophistication somehow. And when I think of sophisticated, I don't know what you think about sophisticated. I think of someone who's highly educated, who's just, you know, they've got it all figured out, and, you know, they're kind of serious, and maybe they talk in King James English, and, you know, they're just, they're sophisticated people. They like things, just the finer things in life and stuff like that. That's not what it means. Interesting. This is what sophistry means. And this is from Strong's Concordance. It means a subtle, tricky, superficially plausible, but generally fallacious method of reasoning. Let me read that to you again. A subtle, tricky, superficially plausible. In other words, it's subtle, it's tricky, and it's, it's on the surface, it looks plausible. That's what superficially plausible means. It means it sounds like, wow, it sounds like it, it sounds like it fits. It sounds like it's right. But generally, it's a fallacious method of reasoning. 
And if you think about it, that's how some philosophies, when they come into the church, it, it, you know, it, it sounds from a human standpoint, it makes sense. You know, it sounds like, yeah, I guess I could see that. Someone shares what they believe about something goes, well, yeah, I guess I kind of see that. But be careful because it's fallacious. It's false. It's a false method of reasoning. And so I was looking more because I've got a couple different uh, lexicons. And so that was Strong's. Thayer's says, describes it as speculative inquiries into asceticism, the worship of angels, rituals of the Mosaic law, and regulations of the Jewish life. And so if you imagine there's these people, these Jewish people that are, that are in you know, Colossus and they're speaking to the believers and, and, they're, and they're starting to tell them about stuff that's kind of like, it's not really scriptural, but you know, hey, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. And they maybe have human reasoning behind stuff, but it's a false method of reasoning. Now, how can you and I make sure that we're not falling into something like that? Well... There's, I've shared this with you, and I don't mind sharing it again because I think it's so important. When, whenever you're looking at any kind of philosophy or any kind of teaching, and it's you're like, well, I'm not sure, judge it by this. Did Jesus teach about it? Did Jesus mention it? Did, you, did Jesus talk about it? Then go to the book of Acts. Do you see it in practice in the church in the book of Acts? And then finally, did the apostles teach on it? If you can answer yes to all those questions, generally speaking, I think you're on safe ground theologically and doctrinally. If there's something you go, you know what? I, you know, I, yeah, Jesus said that word. <laughs> you know, I can, I can, I see it right there in scriptures. Um, I don't see it practiced in the Book of Acts, and the apostles didn't teach on it. Well, you know what? You might be on shaky ground. And that's a good method to determine if you're getting caught up in or you're being you know, told false or human philosophy or false teaching. So they had these Jewish people that were focusing on the worship of angels. They were worshiping on, you know, the rituals of the Mosaic Law and they were just getting into the nitty-gritty of the law and all that stuff. And what happens? It's where the main thing no longer becomes the main thing. Jesus, remember I said it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. And once Jesus is not the main thing, people can get focused on all these side topics. And they may be, maybe they sound good, maybe they're, they're good in and of themselves. But if it takes you off of focusing on Jesus, then it's bad. And then he says, empty deceit. In other words, it does nothing to make you more like Jesus. Its knowledge is fruitless. I've had people come up to me, none of you, of course, but I've had people come up to me and share these philosophies and share these things. Uh, usually it's someone who comes and visits once and they kind of they, they kind of see how they are and then they, they come to me afterwards and they talk to me and stuff and then I never see them again. And, and, you know, sometimes they'll tell me some stuff and they'll have all this, you know, but, you know, this is the way I view scriptures and this and that and, and stuff. And my first impression is, okay, that, you know, that's fine and stuff. How does it make you more like Jesus? You see, whatever, whatever you, you get into, whatever philosophy, whatever, you know, you, you like, I like to focus on this aspect of Christianity. Well, that's fine, but I don't really care about it. <laughs> you know, unless whatever it is that you're into makes you more like Jesus, because I want to be more like Jesus. 
And so if whatever you're, whatever you're doing, whatever your philosophy is, whatever your, your doctrinal bent is, whatever it is, if it makes you more like Jesus, then, hey, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear about it. But if not, to me, it's just empty. There's no fruit in it. Why, why do I even, I don't want to waste my time getting sidetracked on these philosophies on the side. I want to focus on Jesus Christ. That's so important for us. And so he says there, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. And then continuing in verse 8, according to the tradition of men. You know, religion, legalism, tradition. It may sound good and right, but it's unbiblical teaching if it's, if it's based on man's philosophy or based on men's tradition or based on men's laws on the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world. That word, basic principles, we talked about it before, but it means elementary. I mean, it's like the ABCs, the basic principles. Well, what are the basic principles of the world? And this is what I think Paul is saying. Those things that appeal to the lust of the flesh. The, the, the basic things that appeal to mankind. What, what's one of the basic things that appeal to mankind? Pride. Human pride. Man, if, it, you know, if I can feel good about myself, man, that, that appeals to me. And some people get caught up in things because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're more spiritual than others. Uh, feelings and emotions. Man, if it makes me feel good, man, it's got to be good. And fo- people can focus on that. Uh, what are some other base things of the world? Riches, power, sex. I mean, there's so many things that are the base, you know, the base things, the base principles that this world operates off of. And Paul says, stay away from that kind of teachings that are according to the principles of this world and not according to Christ, he continues. Verse 9, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That fullness, the word pleroma, it means the collective body of spiritual things. Uh, uh, For the Gnostics, it meant the collective body of spiritual beings, I should say, not spiritual things. And and so the the, the Gnostics in Paul's day, they looked at the the spiritual world and and there was all these beings called aeons and and they said, well, this this whole cloud of people, this whole of beings, of spiritual beings, this is the pleroma. It's, It's like the sum total of all that spiritual and they believe that Jesus was just one being among other beings. And Jesus came to earth to kind of just to share some insight and knowledge into the spiritual stuff. And it, was, it almost sounds like New Age teaching today. It really does. Um, well, anyways, Paul here takes that word and says in Jesus, all that, all that, everything that you think about that spiritual, all, it, it all dwells in Jesus bodily. For in him dwells all the pleroma or the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, all the divine attributes of the Father permanently dwells in Jesus. So, you know, you want to know the Father? You want to know, you know, uh, God the Father? Well, then know Jesus. You want to glorify the Father? And I've heard that from people, you know, I just want to glorify God. Well, if you want to glorify God, then glorify Jesus. Because He's the perfect representative of God on earth for you and I. He's the bodily representative of Jesus, of, of God, of the D-head, D, excuse me, the Godhead. <laughs> Getting tongue twisted here. And you are complete in Him, 
who is the head of all principality and power. I have a friend in uh, California. I haven't lost track with him, but uh, he was a black belt in Kempo Karate. And uh, as a result, he taught Kempo. And, uh, you know, when someone's a black belt, I don't know all the different colors of the belts that people can be, but, you know, black belt's the, the highest, right? It's like the top, top of the chain there. And so when someone's a black belt or they tell you they're a black belt or you find out they're a black belt, you, in your mind you already go, okay, well, they're, they're more advanced than a brown belt, right? I think brown belt's right below before black belt. I don't know. Again, I don't know that stuff. Um, so you know that they've arrived to a certain level within whatever it is that they're in. In this case, it's, it's Kempo Karate. There's various degrees that you can attain to in martial arts. And you know, in life, really, that's true in a lot of things. You know, uh, I don't know all the different nurses. You know, nursing, you've got the RA, the NA, the whatever. <laughs> Again, you guys, RN, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. you got all these different la- layers, right? These different, you know, once if you say I'm a this, you go, oh, okay, you're that. <laughs> Whatever, that's a bad example. I'm trying to bring in, there's so many medical people, I'm trying to bring in the medical aspect. But anyways, it's true in life, right? There's varying levels within whatever societies or whatever clubs or whatever groups or whatever you're into. Well, you know, that's not true in Christianity. You are all presently complete in Jesus. You are complete in Jesus. If you have a born-again relationship in Jesus, you're complete in Him. Think about the guy that was on the cross next to Jesus, the thief. And he, you know, he didn't have, probably didn't have, he might even have known Judaism because he was, well, we don't even know if he was a Jew, but assuming he was a Jew. Um, He didn't really know a whole lot about Jesus. Maybe he had heard about Jesus or maybe, you know, maybe he had just, you know, seen him speak or maybe he was there for some of the teachings and stuff. But it doesn't tell us in Scripture that he was ever a disciple or anything. So, so his knowledge of Jesus was probably pretty limited. He probably didn't understand the Trinity. He probably didn't know about you know the rapture of the church or you know uh, you know the significance of baptism or you know there's so many things that he probably didn't understand. And all of he did was he turned to Christ in faith and said, "Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom." And Jesus said, "You're in. Today you'll be with me in paradise." He's no more spiritual than you or I are. And you see, that's the danger in philosophy is because sometimes the people come and they go, well, you know, if you really want to be spiritual, then you need to really get into this. And you really need to start pursuing this. You need to understand this. You know, it's great to increase your knowledge. It's great to increase your wisdom. But as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned, you are presently complete. You have all that you need in Christ and your salvation in Christ. You know, you're not more saved if you understand, you know, different things of different theology. You're not more saved than the thief on the cross that just said, Lord, save me. He didn't even say, Lord, save me. He said, just said, Lord, remember me. Some people get caught up in, well, you got to say a certain prayer. You know, if you, if you didn't say this prayer or if, if, if this, you know, uh, I heard just this last week we were getting, got together with some friends and they said they went to this church and they were visiting and, the, and the, the, after the church the pastor came up to them and said, uh, so you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And they're like, yeah. And they said, well, what verse saved you? 
She's like, what's verse? Yeah, what's your verse? And apparently there's this church that believes that everybody has to have this certain, you, you, you have to have a verse that, that God used to, to bring you to salvation. And if you, don't have, if you can't say what that verse is, well, you know, you're probably not saved because you didn't have that experience. I've also heard people say, well, you know, you have to pray a certain prayer and you have to say it a certain way. And if you didn't do it that certain way, well, you know, you're not saved. That's just, man, that's, wow, that's bondage, (laughs) you know? That's legalism. You and I were presently complete in Jesus Christ. And so don't let anyone rip you off. Don't let anyone cheat you. Don't let anyone take you off as their booty. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to stop there. Why don't you stand up? (laughs) Probably a good fitting place to stop. I should have titled the message, Don't Let Anyone Rip You Off as Booty, as Their Booty. All right. I don't know about you, but this passage of Scripture really, really is a comfort to me. And it really, really is an encouragement to me. Because, you know, especially if you're a new believer or, or maybe you're not, you know, haven't been walking with the Lord that much or stuff, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy for thing, people and false teachings that take advantage of you and kind of get you focused on the wrong things. And man, it, for me, you know, sometimes I, I hear people that are, you know, I'm not a philosopher, and you probably can tell. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really do a lot of reading of, you know, all the, I don't, I, Plato, I've heard the name. I, I used to play with Plato, but anyways. Um, you know, I, I'm not a philosopher. I'll be the first to admit. I, I I don't really enjoy sitting there and talking about deep, deep things with people. And I know people that are really into the deep stuff, and they love to talk about that stuff, and they love to just kind of get into this stuff. And, and you know, it, it, it's fine. It's not me, obviously, but it's fine. But, but does it take you away from your faith in Christ? Does it take your focus off of who Jesus is? And does it make you more like him or less like him? And, you know, people that get caught up in some of the stuff... That pride creeps in, and pretty soon they're like, you know what? I'm better than you because I have this deep understanding that you don't have, and it causes division, and 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 that's not the agape love. That's not being knit together in love. That's being torn apart by factions. And that's Christ's prayer for this church and for all churches and for every believer is that we be united in love, in agape love, and we'll be you know we can deal with that. Takes care of so much.